thank God for his presence uh, in this place this morning. I'd like for you to turn with me in your Bibles to the very last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 20. I want to be obedient to the Holy Spirit this morning. I want to follow the direction in the mind of the Lord. And I think sometimes we get so caught up in being inspired, being challenged in this life. I think we lose sight of the fact that this life is but a vapor. And there's much more important implications, and that is eternity. We live in this life, but we live for eternity. We had a beginning. We were conceived in our mother's womb. But there is no ending. It's eternity. Revelation chapter 20, and I want to begin reading at verse 1. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on that dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. You'll skip down to verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged to every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, I know how you have directed. And I believe today that you have a word in this sobering moment, this somber time, that you want to speak into your people. Lord, I pray that we would have ears to hear and hearts to receive. Many of us sitting here today are here serving you because there was a seed planted about our eternity. I pray today that that seed would be planted into the hearts of people you have created and people you sustain. I give you praise and glory and honor for these things. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. The question I want to pose to you today is, what, is, what if hell had no fire? What if hell had no fire? 
This was sparked in my spirit over the last couple of weeks because I had a saved family member, a believer, that was in conversation with a lost family member of mine, an unbeliever. And they were talking about preparing for dying and the funeral and the like. The Christian family member said to the unbelieving family member, have you ever considered cremation? It is much more economical. The unbeliever responded by saying, absolutely not. I am already going to burn on the back side of life. There's no need to burn on the front side as well. That marked me. That was something that left an indelible impression upon me. So let me ask the question, what if there was no fire in hell? It's been a few years ago now, and I did not hear the interview myself, but it was reported to be my multiple people. That Larry King asked a very well-known pastor of a mega congregation a question. The question was asked, why don't you ever preach on hell? The response that the pastor gave to Larry King was this, the people in our church have enough hell during the week. When they come to church on Sunday, they need to be encouraged and uplifted and strengthened. Hell, the word. Hell, the place. Hell, the subject that has been so desensitized in the 21st century. It's been desensitized because the very Word is in so many people's daily vocabulary. It's been desensitized in our world because of tough times that so many live in, and so we stay away from a sobering subject to keep people as happy as we possibly can. It's been desensitized because it's been perceived as a figment of our imagination, or worse, it's a place where some even portray that the party that happened in this life will continue there in hell when this life is over. The subject of hell has been desensitized and avoided in pulpits across the land because it is offensive to some and frightening to others. Some feel as if it is unnecessary and that if we simply preach and teach the joys of heaven, that will be sufficient. That talking about love and compassion will be more than enough. But my friend, I declare to you today that if we preach the whole Bible, we must preach hell. If we preach the whole Word of God as Paul told Timothy to do, we must portray its literal reality to a lost and a dying world who need Jesus as their Savior and their Lord. You see, when you see in the Word of God the the word hell, You may read it, and in in some places it's translated as grave. In the Old Testament, hell is the word sheol in the Hebrew, which means grave. 
In the New Testament, the word hell is in, in some places is translated Hades, which also means the grave. But then there is the Greek word for hell called Tartarus, which means a place of punishment. This is the word that Peter used in the New Testament when he wrote in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4, and he said, God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, to Tartarus, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. Can I tell you today that there are already some demons of darkness that are chained up in hell? Somebody ought to say praise God right there. Then there is the Greek word for hell, and it's called Gehenna, which means a place of punishment. In Revelation, hell is called the lake of fire. And the passage we read from today is the word Gehenna, which comes from the term Valley of Hinnom. Valley of Hinnom lies outside, in Jesus' time, lies outside of the city of Jerusalem. And during the time of Christ, when the Lord was on the earth, the Valley of Hinnom, or Gehenna, was used as a trash dump, a waste dump, and it was there that the bodies of criminals were thrown away and burned. It was a place that if you walked by in that general vicinity, it was a place that was always, always smoldering and always burning and always had a terrible odor. And when Christ was describing, as he was trying to get the people to understand about eternity, when he was describing the place of eternal punishment, he used this smoldering, burning dumping ground as an example of a place where those who refused him as Lord would go. I'll say today hell is a terrible place to go for anyone. Now, I want you to understand God never intended for man to go to hell. In fact, in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 41, it is clearly stated that hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. God, the loving and just Father, he takes absolutely no pleasure in anyone going to hell. And he certainly does not send anyone one to hell. In fact, the scripture says very clearly, he is willing that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the choice and the decision is literally and exclusively and solely man's decision and man's decision alone. Richard Dillingham wrote it like this, God doesn't want to send anyone to hell. In fact, people who go to hell must make a desperate effort to get there. They must, first of all, walk over the caring death of the Lord Jesus Christ. They must push aside the love of Almighty God. They must be insensitive to the constant call of the Holy Spirit. They must push past the prayers of the righteous that cry out to God day and night 
right for them. They must count as nothing the preaching of the God's gospel. And they must shut their eyes to open doors of churches that they drive by every single day. But I want you to know something today. Friend, hell is real. And hell is eternal. And it, irregardless what any mega preacher would say over your television or over your podcast, let me tell you there is no hell on earth that begins to compare with the Gehenna, the eternal place of torment, the eternal dumping ground that remains for the unsaved. I'm telling you, hell is a place of torment and hell is a place of fire. But what if hell had no fire? Obviously, when you hear the word hell, you associate it with fire. And, and so, if we took fire out of hell, would it be so bad? Would it be such a terrible place to have to dread? Well, let's talk about it from the Scripture. Where I believe the Scripture lays out some portraits of hell that I think we all need to hear and be reminded of. First of all, hell is a place of putrefying flesh. Did you know that disease, every imaginable disease and sickness, came about because of sin? Did you know that cancer and diabetes and heart problems and leprosy and AIDS and sclerosis of the liver and every single physical malady is directly or indirectly linked to sin? It goes back to the Garden of Eden when that forbidden fruit was tasted of. When Adam and Eve fell in the garden, there was the effects of sin that would come. And, and so living in this sin-filled world, you may not be directly responsible. You may not have brought on the disease yourself, but sin in this world is the reason why there is sickness in this world. And, and so and, and you understand that. You realize that. And, and yet nowhere in the Bible do I read that disease will be done away with in hell. There's going to be decaying, decaying flesh of lepers and open running cancerous sores and all fever and, and pain and torture. And suffering will be present forever. And there'll be no death to eliminate it. And there'll be no hospitals to treat it. And there'll be no doctors to see and no prescriptions to alleviate the distress that is associated with hell. Screams of the anguished and those in pain will be a permanent part of hell's society. Oh God, paint the picture in our mind. Let me tell you also that hell is a place of weeping. There is no laughter in hell. There is no smiles going on in hell. I don't know about you. I hate to see anyone crying. When I see someone crying, I want to go over and console them. And, and, and sometimes, some of us, maybe we see someone that is crying and we, we don't handle it well. And so maybe we want to change rooms or, or drive across town or go to find some brighter faces, but that's not going to be happening in hell. In hell, there's going to be weeping day and night and, and night and day. There will be absolutely 
no one at any given moment that will be able to wipe a tear away from your eye or speak an encouraging word to you. Whatever sad news you have ever been exposed to on this earth will not compare to the sorrow that is in hell. Can I tell you, hell is also a place of memories. Whereas every sorrow will be wiped away in heaven for the child of God, for the sinner who dies without Jesus, every regret of your life will be remembered over and over and over again. It will be rehearsed in your memory. You say, I don't know if I buy into that. We'll go to Luke chapter 16. Read about the rich man who died. And the Bible says in hell, he lifted up his eyes. He remembered the beggar who he had despised and neglected. A beggar that laid at his rich gate asking for some relief and something to eat. And this poor beggar was so sick that the dogs came by and licked his sores. And that's the only relief that he got. Ask that rich man in hell who said, please send someone to my five brothers. He knew he had five siblings that weren't serving the Lord. And he said, please send someone to warn them so that they won't come to this horrible place called hell. His memory was not wiped clean, but was very much alive. When I read that, Brother Turpin, I'm reminded that I believe that in hell, you're going to hear the prayers of your saintly mother. In hell, you're going to hear the counsel of your godly father. In hell, you're going to hear the pleas of that Christian wife or husband. Please come to church with me. Hundreds of times they asked you to come to the house of the Lord so you could go together as a couple, but you refused. I believe you'll hear those invitations over again. In hell, you will rehearse the countless times that the Holy Spirit convicted you through a song, convicted you through a preacher, convicted you through the witness of a co-worker, and you turned a deaf ear. I'm telling you, there are people that sit in this church, young people, young adults, even adults. You may sit here and despise your pastor and the sermons you don't think apply to you. You may think those messages are irrelevant, and so you decide you're just going to text your buddy while the Word of God is going forth, or you're going to check your Facebook while the Word is being preached, but I'm here to admonish you. You'll split hell wide open, and you won't have a cell phone to get you away from the taunting words of the gospel that warns you to flee from the wrath that is to come. Hell is a place of memories. Hell is a place with no rest for the people of God, for the believers. Hebrews says there remains a rest for us, but in hell there is no rest, not from physical, not from mental, or from spiritual turmoil. There is no laying down to take a nap in the middle of the day. It's a dark place where your eyes can never close. Hell is also a place of profanity. I tell you, I thought this week, and I was talking to myself as much as I was thinking about anyone else possibly in the room. We choose movies that have profanity and pay-per-view for entertainment. We funnel it into our living rooms, and, and we only cringe when profanity is not convenient for us. Let me give you a 
prime example. I've known those. I've been guilty of it. You'll act appalled when someone curses around your wife or your child in a restaurant, but you'll drop 50 bucks to listen to it in a theater with popcorn and sodas. I've done it myself. I know what I'm talking about, but I'm telling you in Revelation chapter 16, it says they blaspheme the God of heaven because of their pain and their sores. There'll be no songs in hell. The music of hell will be the moaning and screaming of the lost. No kind words will ever be spoken in hell. You'll be like the thief on the cross. You'll curse God one moment and beg for mercy the next, but there'll be no mercy that will come your direction. Do you understand that demons will be your neighbors, those that helped send you there, those that you fell to their temptation. You yield to them. They'll be right there alongside of you, suffering as well. And I want to say this, and I think this probably needs to settle into all of our spirits. Time will never remove the sinister, chilling fear of the devil's presence himself. He will always be there. Can I tell you today, you can speak the name of Jesus, and the devil has to flee. Can I tell you today, you can resist the devil, and he will flee from you, but not so on that day when you start your eternity in hell. The devil will always be in your presence, and you'll never be able to get rid of him. That's the Word of God. You say, are you angry this morning, preacher? No. I'm passionate. I'm zealous. You say, don't you know what size church we are? We're, we're one of the elite churches in the county. We're an up-and-coming church and a great congregation doing great things. I can't believe you'd bring this kind of message to us. Let me tell you, when it's all said and done, God didn't call me to make you happy. He called me to help you become holy so you'll be ready to meet the Lord and you won't have to go to hell. The devil's presence will always be there. And the flip side of that is God's presence will conspicuously be absent in hell. It's a place where God is absent. Since its creation, the earth has enjoyed God's presence. It's mind-boggling to believe that there would be a place that does not have the refreshing presence of God. And yet, for eternity, hell will be that place. 1 John 4, 8 tells us God is love. And even when things are tough in this world, I have several places to run. Find someone that truly loves me because God is present on this earth. I can go to a room and call on the Lord. I can hug my wife. I can, I can hang out with my son. I can go for a prayer walk. That is all God. That is all love. But God will not be in hell. And that means that there will be no love in hell. And when you take love out of anywhere, the only potential you have left is hatred. God is also truth. But if God is missing, there will be nothing but lies and deceit and hypocrisy. 
In hell, the greedy will want more and more and have absolutely nothing. In hell, jealousy and envy will drive men to madness. Hatred and anger will be rampant. Fear will reign thick as darkness. But God and his spirit will be missing. Over the last two weeks, there's been a name that has dominated the news. A billionaire who trafficked young women for his own pleasure and for making more and more money. And I saw a caption the other day, and I thought that the caption was, what would it have been like for Jeffrey Epstein, a pedophile, a billionaire pedophile in prison? And that grabbed hold of my spirit. And I know that as long as there is breath, there is mercy. And I know as long as there is a beating heart, there's still the potential. And I pray and I hope to God that somehow before he took his last breath, strangled from his own bed sheet, that Jeffrey Epstein called upon the name of the Lord. But if he didn't repent before his life ended, it's nothing in this world's jail compared to the suffering he's going to deal with in eternity. Hell is a place of separation. No child returning from college. No hugs from your spouse. No visits from a friend. No tears of joy or hearts leaping with excitement. No tender words. My mother turns 80 today and she looks forward to and I get in big, deep trouble if I don't place that Sunday afternoon phone call. But as she turned 80 today, I'll pick up the phone this afternoon and I'll call her. And I'll hear that tender voice. What a blessing it is. You know, kissing babies in hell. There'll be no playing with toddlers in hell. Hell separates. And not just for a day, but for all of eternity. Hell will never know the colors of spring, the radiance of summer, the beautiful foliage of the fall, or the whiteness of the newly fallen snow. You see, you need to know this. Those that are in heaven will not know the sorrows of hell. I was prayer walking last night and I've often heard it preached from the book of Acts. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved and your household. I've, I've held on to that promise. I was calling loved ones' names out in prayer. And I, I believe that promise. And I, I believe that God is going to answer my prayer. But that does not nullify every person's individual free choice. And you can believe, as much as I love my family, when I get to heaven, the ones that are not present... I will not remember. There will be no mourning. There will be no sadness because they went to hell. I won't even, I won't even have a regard that they ever existed. Because my Bible tells me when I get to glory, God's going to take out his great big old hanky and he's going to wipe every tear from our eye. He's going to remove every sorrow. And anything associated with this sorrow-filled, sin-filled world will be erased for all of eternity. Right. 
Heavenly citizens will not know the sorrows of hell. But I've wondered. I've wondered if the occupants of hell can see the joys of heaven. The one step to the altar you never took. The one confession you never uttered. The one decision that you never made. There's a roll call of hell's residents. It's listed in Revelation 21.8. The cowardly and the faithless, and the unbelieving and the corrupt and the vile and the polluted, murderers and pornographers and smut peddlers, those who traffic in sex idolaters, and all liars and gamblers, and all whose names were not found written in the book of life. In hell, there will be the church attender that never got serious with God. In hell will be the church member who was once saved and then turned back to the world. In hell, the good moral person, the, the neighbor who would cut your grass and, and get in your mail, but they never asked Jesus to come into their heart. In hell, the one who felt that all the good times would be missed out on if he or she served God. While I'm picking on Hollywood and the big names this week, I, I used to watch, what's that show that Alyssa Milano stored, uh, starred in? Who's the Boss? How many of you like Alyssa Milano? Or Who's the Boss? How many of you remember the show? I used to watch that show. We used to enjoy it. It was clean, clean family entertainment. To hear her say this week that she was glad she got two abortions in her early years or she wouldn't be able to enjoy the party life she has now, it caused my stomach to turn. And I pray for Alyssa Milano's soul before she stands before a God who values life as much as our God does. In hell, the one planning on getting saved next weekend. In hell, the one with good intentions who found out that that is what the road to hell is paved with. Pastor, you're scaring me this morning. There's a little verse. It's found in the smallest book of the Bible. And it's right before the book of Revelation. And listen to what it says. It says, with some having compassion, making a difference. With some. But then it goes on to say, but others, save them with fear, pulling them out of the fire. I'll be honest with you. And I was one of those people that would lay on the bed at night. My head could end up in a cold sweat, worried that Jesus would, become, would come and I would be left behind. Worried that my heart could stop beating and my lungs could stop breathing and I could go to sleep in my bed and next morning wake up in hell. I was the one I had heard all the messages on love and compassion and the goodness of God. 
and how loving and gracious he is. But I was one of the ones that said, you know what, I got plenty of time. But then I'd hear the reality and the truth of hell without God. And it gripped my heart with conviction. And yes, it gripped my heart with fear. Others save with fear. There's several of you dotted across this sanctuary this morning. They could have preached to you love all day long, and you'd have never come to Jesus. But somebody told you about an eternal place that you were going to spend, and that got your attention. And you came to know the Lord. If hell had no fire, but friend, the reality is hell does have fire. Matthew 3.12 calls it an unquenchable fire. Malachi says that the wicked will be reduced to stubble from the fire of God's judgment. Isaiah 33 calls it a devouring fire. Consuming but not consumed. Devouring but not destroyed. Matthew states that the furnace of fire, it will be so intense it will produce weeping and gnashing of teeth. I could not ever imagine being so steeped in lunacy, so steeped in demonism that I would gnash on anyone in this room with my teeth. But in hell, in hell, it's an everlasting fire. Are you going to hell today? Nothing you could ever face in this life could compare to the eternal separation from God in the dumping ground called Gehenna or the lake of fire. Man, I don't want to go there, preacher. I don't want to go there. How can I avoid going there? How did you get out of it? One simple decision. One simple decision and a sold-out life. And you can today disenroll from hell and have your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Tell me more. It's simply saying, I believe Jesus died on the cross, and I am a sinner, and I desperately need a Savior. And in one moment, if we confess, He is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us from all of the filthiness and unrighteousness of our life. Just that simple. Will you be going to hell? I read of a tragic story. Tony, if you'll come to the keys. I read of a tragic story of several years ago. A family had been serving in 
Okinawa. Another part of the world. They had spent years packing to move to Virginia. And so from across the world, they had all of their belongings. It took several days. They got to Virginia. They unloaded the truck. They moved into their home. They unloaded the truck in Virginia after several days moving from Okinawa. And in the middle of the night, they, they awakened on the very first night to a house fire. They scrambled to get everyone out, and they lost every single thing they owned in the fire. Everything. To traveling all that distance from Okinawa to Virginia and lose everything. I remember reading that, Brother James, and I thought, man, what a, what a tragedy. The Lord brought that to my remembrance this week. That there is, in all likelihood, a greater tragedy in this room today. And that there is people that are sitting under the sound of my voice. You are packing for the eternal dumping ground. You're packing for Gehenna. You're packing for hell. I want to tell you something. This won't just be a temporary tragedy caused by a fire. But you're making your residence in the permanent lake of fire. God knows I've delivered my soul. Would you close your eyes? Souls in this room, souls that will listen on a CD later this week, souls that will that are watching. from their workplace or from their living room. Souls present in this sanctuary this morning. Will you be going to hell? Will you be going to hell? You say, oh, you don't understand. I got a godly mama praying for me. I got plenty of time. Let me tell you something, friend. Don't you tempt God that way. God can withdraw your breath God can hold the beating of your heart in a moment at any time, no matter what your age is. And you can go from life to eternity in the blink of an eye. The scripture said the rich man died and in hell he lifted up his eyes. I don't want to go to hell, preacher. I don't want to go to hell. Maybe you came with a family member. Maybe you come here every Sunday. Maybe you came from another part of the country and you just happen to be here. I don't know. But something's not right between your soul and your Savior. Maybe you just all out have never made a confession of faith in Christ. Maybe, maybe there was a time you used to be on fire for the Lord, but you've been led astray. And you know that things are not right between you and Jesus. While every head's bowed and every eye's closed, please, no one moving around, looking around, would you just slip up your hand and say, Preacher, I need prayer. I need prayer. Hands going up. Come on, raise them up.
raising my preacher. I need prayer. I'm struggling. I have sin in my heart. I'm not right. You may lower them after you raise your hands. There are others. I'm not ready to meet the Lord. I'm not ready to meet Jesus, but I don't want to go to hell. You may lower your hand. Thank you. Is there others? This first altar invitation is very simple. Because see, here's the truth. Look at me. Here's the truth. You can believe in your heart and make a confession of faith in Christ, but you still have to do it before men. A public profession is part of the salvation experience. And I know there are people in this room, some that raised their hands, some that didn't. Say, preacher, I, I need prayer. I want to come for prayer. That's, that's the first invitation. If you raised your hand or if you didn't, but things are just not right, this is where you be bold. It don't matter. We're all sinners saved by grace anyway. There's not a person in this room that has a right to cast a stone at you, including myself. Not one soul in this room has grounds to bring condemnation or accusation against you. But I am begging you, find your mercy today. It is of His mercies that we are not consumed. Is there other honest hearts? Is there other honest hearts you raised your hand? You said, well, I was just in the altar a couple weeks ago. Who cares? That was then, this is now. This is this moment. This is this moment. You and Jesus. You and the Lord right now. I don't know how many of you have children or grandchildren that are away from the Lord. Moms and dads that are away from the Lord, a brother or a sister that's away from the Lord, but maybe you'd like to just stand and join me around this altar and we could just kind of pray for them. Could we do that for a few moments? Could we do that if you have a loved one that's lost? The Lord has painted through His Spirit a portrait. A portrait. Can we just come with our hearts and our voices, our hands maybe raised to the Lord saying, God, save my family. far they are. We're going to sing this before we go. No matter how far your loved one is, no matter how steep the pit is that they're in, the arm of God can reach them.
Thank God for his amazing blood that saved us and set us free. Brother Turpin, would you step up here? Bring your little compatriot there with you. Bring him with you. <laughs> Sometimes you see young people that God is just doing a dramatic work in their lives. And I've heard this young man can pray. So, you mind if we have him pray for us? I'm going to get you to pray, and then Brother Turpin's going to pray after you. We're going to have a double prayer. I could use a double prayer. Father God, I ask that you will touch this church and this community, Father God, that you may bless each every one of us, Father God, for the people who do not know you, our family members, our friends, our co-workers, Father God, please touch them and put your hand on them, put your finger on them, that they may come to know you in your name, Father God. I ask all these things in your son's precious name, amen. 